Listen, a great joy to be with you. Um, we had a great time this morning. You weren't there, but it was, apparently it was a great time. And um, we did have fun. So um, hoping that we can... It's the same talk, but it's already different. It's already changed. How can you do the same talk twice? Well, hopefully the content will be the same once we get past the jokes. Um, thank you to Trent Vineyard for your participation in City Prayer. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for the way that you have uh, led in the city in terms of reaching out to the poor uh, and many other spaces. But I'm particularly grateful for the work that uh, that Cat Register does. I don't know if you know who Cat is, but Cat is a genius. We love Cat. She's part of our... Uh, yeah, quite right. She's part of the 100 Homes Campaign Leadership Team. And she works with me as we've been trying to put I suppose before Christians around the city, uh, the desperate need for 600 or so foster, uh, kids to get into fostering. They can't find foster carers for them in the council. And so um, they've been, we've been partnering with the council and saying over the next three years, we're gonna find 100 homes. Uh, in the last six months or so, we've had Fostering Sunday. And from that spilled out around about 40 people who were very interested. Of them now, around 10 are already in the process of beginning to foster. I think that's good news, don't you? I'm delighted about that. Praise God. <clears throat> uh, I heard a story the other day uh, about a lonely woman who bought a parrot from a pet shop. This is, this is a story I heard. She want, I was going to say it's true, but that would have been a lie. She wanted companionship. She wanted someone to talk to. The next day, she brought the parrot back and said, he won't talk. The manager asked, does he have a mirror in his cage? Parrots love mirrors. So she purchased a mirror. The next day she came back and said, the bird's still not talking. How about a ladder? Parrots love ladders. When he's happy, he will talk. So she purchased a ladder. The next day she was back again saying, the parrot's still not talking. Manager said, I know what you need. Guaranteed, the bird wants a swing. Buy a swing, the bird will be happy, it'll talk to you. So she reluctantly purchased a swing. Sure enough, the next day she's back again. But this time she's sad. The parrot died, she said. Oh no, I'm sorry, the manager said. Please tell me, did he ever say anything before he died? The woman replied, yes. He asked me, don't they sell any food at that pet shop? <laughs> that's the best I've got tonight. Honestly, that's it. If you were expecting a bigger laugh, that's all I've got. So look, Sometimes we can be in danger of missing things that are in plain sight. I want to talk to you tonight about the good shepherd. Knowing that when I say the good shepherd, you already know what you think I'm going to talk about. <laughs> Knowing that actually we see Jesus, the good shepherd, as somebody who is cuddling little lambs and feeding them with milk bottles and loving them tenderly as they skip around his feet. The good shepherd. Well, sheep aren't quite like that, and I don't think Jesus is quite like that either. In 2005, my family and I moved out to New Zealand. I was uh, initiated into Kiwi church culture by being taken onto a farm day where I was dressed in overalls and placed in a shed on my own with people looking from the outside, which was slightly nerve-wracking. But as I, as, as I kind of uh, sat there, the door swung open, and a sheep the size of a rugby player, I mean a big rugby player, came right in and kind of, and I was handed this thing and said, okay, shear it, shear it, I'm from Liverpool, 
It's got no wallet to take. Anyway, so, I, okay. So I share this thing. The sheep was not blessed and neither was I. It was dirty, it was smelly. And you know what? By the end of this little encounter, I smelled like the sheep. Shepherds are meant to smell like the sheep. They've got to be close enough to understand what they smell like. They've got to get in there and hold on tight. Good shepherds know what their sheep are going through. Made me wonder about the people of God being described as sheep. Philip Keller reminds us that though the image of God's people as sheep is common in the Bible, it's not entirely complimentary. From all accounts, sheep are helpless animals of limited intelligence. They are timid and can be startled by the slightest sound, but at other times, they are so stubborn that nothing moves them. Anyone relate? It's interesting, therefore, to me that he identifies himself as the good shepherd. Now, would you turn on your phones, your watches, your actual paper Bibles, potentially, to John chapter 10 for a moment? And I want you to have a look with me, if you will. I'm going to start this time to just to throw things off. Sorry, guys. At verse 1. <laughs> and we'll just start this end. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Verse 3. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Note, he calls them by name and he leads them out from the sheep pen, the place of safety. When four, he has brought all out all his own. He goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus again said, very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep haven't listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am, verse 11, the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now just skip, if you will, to verse 22. Jesus continues, um, and they think he's demon-possessed. Then we get to another portion of the scripture, of the same part of the story, and we get to verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication. It was winter. It was in Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking in the temple courts in the Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you, but you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents stood to their feet and applauded them from the rafters. Or... His Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Jesus calmed them down like a good, calm shepherd, pastor would. Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? He just 
ask them one more time. Just pause there for a moment. Two things to note. First thing is the feast of dedication. Let's just go from verse 22. There were three major feasts in Israel's history, and they were given to remember what God had done in the past and renew hope, secondly, about what he could do in the present and the future. To remember one thing and to renew hope about what was happening now and what could happen in the future. This dedication feast was also known as the Festival of Lights, and it was also known and still is known as Hanukkah. If I said to you, that those feasts had stories behind them, you'd know what I meant. You'd understand that there was a story behind Pentecost, there's a story behind Passover, and there's a story behind Tabernacles. There was a story that made sense of the feast. But this feast was a feast of dedication, a little bit like Independence Day for the States or something like that, or Remembrance Day for us. It was a day that the nation itself had commemorated because they wanted to remember and they wanted the nation to remember something very important that had taken place. If I said to an American, four score years and seven, Tina, what would that mean? Thank you. And the Gettysburg Address. Now, we're not Americans. I picked that right up. But that means something to those guys because it's about the Declaration of Independence, it's Abraham Lincoln, it's all those kind of things. If I said to French people, anyone French here? Anyone been on holiday? And then, okay. Um, French, if I said liberty, fraternity, equality, in one way or another, or liberté, equalité, and fraternité, <laughs> oh, you understand now. Honestly, I've got a gift with language. And if I said that, you would, they would say, and we would probably know because we had to study it at, at O-level. Remember them? And it was <laughs> the French Revolution. If I said to you, Brits, we will fight them on the beaches, what am I talking about? Second World War, we're talking, but, but Remembrance Day, poppies and Winston Churchill. If I said to you, the crowd are on the pitch and they think it's all over, what would you say? And if I said to you, it's coming home, what would you say? (laughs) It's not. (laughs) It was so close. (laughs) Never mind. What am I doing saying all this stuff? I'm saying all this stuff because... Jesus didn't speak in timeless truths. He speaks into a context. Jesus doesn't speak into a vacuum. He speaks into a story. We read the scriptures, open them, and we forget that there's 2,000 years of difference between us reading the New Testament and when it was written. And what he said and how he said it and what we read, there's a whole world of culture that we're missing if we only read the text in a kind of flat way. Amen? Some people read it like a telephone directory. They just kind of take it for what it is for today only. Guys, we don't want to read the Bible in a shallow way. There's loads of stuff going on in here that you need to get a hold of. Some people said to me, oh, I'm a fundamentalist. I I believe the scriptures, I really do. Well, a fundamentalist kind of, they stand on the word. So if I put my iPad, which I'm not going to do, but just imagine that it was down there and I stood on the word fundamentalism seems to me no wonder they stand on the word because they don't actually need to open it they already know what's inside fundamentalism doesn't require thought 
just requires adherence to a set of doctrines that they already are committed to, designed by somebody else. And evangelical says, I stand under the word. I'll put the word over my head and I will stand under the word and I'll let the word instruct me. A liberal says, I'll stand next to the word. I'll have the word next to me, as do the Catholics, and I'll have the creeds and I'll have a couple of other things. Guys, we are evangelicals. We stand under the word. But for that to be real, we've got to take hold of the book and explore it and stop reading it like it's just a daily horoscope. Everyone awake? I think that's what happens sometimes. I think we make it a magic book as though we couldn't really get into it and let it speak to us. But God wants to work in our hearts through the word of God. But we've got to take it a little bit more seriously. We invest more on iTunes and Spotify than we ever do in terms of helping us read books or get buy books that help us understand something we're supposed to be committed to reading every day. And I love Spotify. So two things going on here. Remember the past, renew hope for the future. So what's the Feast of Dedication about? Well, if, I, if an Israelite stood there and heard Jesus say, like we've just heard, I am the good shepherd, what they heard was, that's a reference back to the time when Antiochus Epiphanes, what was his mother thinking? Antiochus, who was the kind of leader of Syria, invaded Israel and chose to Hellenize, to change the whole culture of the nation so that it looked more like Greece. He invaded, and in order to carry on with his project, he caused the abomination that caused desolation, which was to cause the worship of Zeus in the holy place of Yahweh's temple to put swine blood on the altar. He killed 80,000 Jews and all kinds of other things. Too gruesome to mention. The Israelites fought back. They lived under it for three and a half years and then Judas Maccabees, the hammer is what it means, Judas the hammer, came in and defeated the Syrians and kicked them back out and restored order to Israel. Why remember that? Well, there's two reasons, and these are the names. The dedication or the rededication of the temple took place, and Yahweh worship began again. But they also remembered that the leaders, the high priests, the priests, those who were leaders of Israel, stood by and watched the Syrians desecrate the culture and the worship of Yahweh. So by the Feast of Dedication, which is the time when Jesus is speaking, when Jesus is standing there speaking, at that moment, Israelites' mental framework and thinking is all about what happened back then, 150 years previously, 160 years previously. And they're thinking about it and they're commemorating it and they're remembering it because they want to remember so that they don't make the same mistake again. And anyway, what God did then, he might be able to do again right now. And guess what? The Romans are in town. And we're being ruled again by a foreign power and we're being ruled by high priests who are more interested in fleecing the sheep than feeding the flock. And right here, right now, those people who are leading us are cohabiting, they are capitulating 
they are again coming under the rule of the Romans and they're not standing up for Yahweh worship and Israel's culture and identity. Does that make sense? Thank you both. What they remembered in order to help them, they used to read a passage from Ezekiel. Can you just put that up guys please? Ezekiel chapter 34. This passage was like a, a real complaint and critique against the false shepherds of Israel. At the Feast of Dedication, they read this out so that the priests would not fall by the wayside. So that the present day priests would remember what God said about priests that flattered to deceive. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you don't take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I'll remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I'll rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I'll bring them out from the nations and gather them up from the countries, etc., etc. Can you imagine being a shepherd of Israel, a leader of the nation? At the time of Jesus, when Jesus stands up in the public square, as he was wont to do, as he had just previously done at the Feast of Tabernacles just a couple of months earlier, as he stood up and said, I am the good shepherd, he, they heard two things. One, we are not the good shepherds, we're bad shepherds. Two, he's equating himself with God the Father. He's equating himself with Yahweh. This is a claim to divinity. So no wonder they pick up stones because they're going to stone him because he's blaspheming. I am the good shepherd drew out of Israel because of the narrative, the desire to kill the Messiah. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, feeding lovely little lambs. I am the good shepherd was about as politically volatile a statement as you could ever imagine. So when Jesus stands up and says it, all hell could break loose. Why is this important? Well, because there are invaders again, as it were, in Israel at that time. But let's just move it to, the, to, to, to today. Any day you like, I can't say today. But to today. And start to imagine what it's like for us as the people of God 
to somehow learn to be a shepherding community. Jesus was a good shepherd who saved his sheep and his people from the enemy. The enemy of their souls. He, Judas Maccabees, saved Israel from the enemy of their nation, the Syrians in this case. We as a shepherding community are sent to the people of Nottingham to save them from the enemy of their souls. And who might that be? Some people say it's like Donald Trump or Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn or Jurgen Klopp. There's only the last one's probably right. Who knows who it could be except the people of God know. Because we know that week in, week out, there are broken and battered and injured people walking the streets of St. Anne's. There's knife crime and there's gunfire and there's people dying in poverty and in subjugation. To who? An enemy of their souls. And we, the people of God, have got a task before us. We are to be good shepherds. The church in Nottingham is to be our good shepherd to the city in which we live. We seek the welfare of our city, and consequently that means that we throw our arms not just round the found or the straying, but the lost. We shepherd the found, that's you and I. We, we, we reach out with the love of Jesus, and we, we understand that the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, and they follow him. And that we are shepherded as a people. We are led by good leaders who lead us into green pasture. That's the task of leadership, to lead you to a place of stronger identity and greener pasture so that you mature as a saint and grow into your calling. The strays, we shepherd the strays. Who are the strays? Strays can be not just people who've backslidden, but people who are still sitting here and have backslidden. The religious. The people whose hearts are far from God despite their lips saying all the right things. Those who've been coming to church for years, but the fire's gone out a little. And we stray. We say, does it really matter? And then we're called to shepherd the lost. Not long ago, um, on a sunny day in Beeston, which was rare, and I was outside Costa, and it was a bit early. I was a bit early for a meeting there. Uh, I was about 15 minutes early, and, I, and the sun was shining. There was a, do you know the market square and beast in there? And I was just outside, and uh, I leant back, uh, put my sunglasses on. Eva Cassidy was uh, being played by a busker around the corner. I was just in my element. I was just catching the rays, and I said to the Lord, Lord, I just want you to know I'm available for you in whatever you want me to do right now. But I'm not that available, really kind of not available but I know the right thing to say is I am available but I'm not really and then I heard I heard in the distance somebody shouting like like strongly and um, I I kind of looked around and, and and I saw a woman walking towards where I was standing 
and she was walking with purpose. This is walking without purpose. This is walking with purpose, and this was how she was walking towards me. I get your attention. So as she's shouting, the closer she gets, she starts to shout louder. She says, oh, look at you. And I said, oh, I didn't say anything. I'm just like, I'm looking around. And she said, are you happy with yourself? She's like about two feet, maybe three feet away. She's finger pointed. Are you happy with yourself? I said, what level are you asking? I mean, the 30s weren't, I wasn't good in my 30s. I appreciate that. But what, why are you asking me? No, I didn't say any of that. I just, I just said, uh, hello, um, sorry, have we met? Bad thing to say. Have we met? Have we met, she said. Have we met? You were married to me for 22 years and you walked out on me last year. <gasps> I went, oh, oh, oh. What? I said, uh, I'm sorry. I said, I, I don't think I know you. She goes, take those sunglasses off. It's like, oh. <laughs> Took the sunglasses off. And she went, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And I was going, oh. <laughs> Big relief. <sighs> I said, I gathered myself up. She's like really upset. I said, yeah, you look like you're in trouble. She says, I am. My husband walked out on me. I said, I got that. <laughs> got that. She said, uh, he's left me with nothing. I said, look, you, you've come to me of all the people here. I said, I think God loves you. God knows your story. God knows who you are. And I said, I said this morning that I prayed for her. I didn't pray for her there and then. I prayed for her after she went. She, she, had to, she just ran on. I said, what's your name? She said, it's, it's Joan. It wasn't, but I just did that for, you know, okay. So in case you're in, you're in here. You could be in here. And she said, I, I prayed for her. I, I just asked the Lord. I just said, what's that about? He says, I want you to be a good shepherd. I don't need to be a perfect example. I just need you to be a living one. I don't need you to be always available. I just need you to be available when I ask. So the next day, I go back to Beeston Marketplace, to the same square with a hat and a false mustache. <laughs> and I'm sitting on a bench and I, I am 10 minutes early I'm saying, Lord, I'm available. <laughs> I looked that way. I thought, looked this way, and there was a guy next to me. He said, all right, Bill. He said, I don't know what to do. He said, I've lost hope. Wow. He was straying. I talked to him, prayed with him, ministered to him, and then I went on my way. This happened for day upon day after day. Guys, to shepherd the lost. I've heard of all kinds of techniques that Christians are supposed to employ. But here's the thing. I think it boils down to making time for God to use us. More often than not, five minutes here, five minutes there. Let God fill the space. 
let God give, let, let him give you his heart for those around. It could be the found that he sends you, it could be the strays, or it could be the lost. What he's looking for are people who are ready to say yes. Uh, I became a Christian one drunken night at 20 to 4 in the morning, having had about 9 or 10 vodkas and 3 pints of lager in the space of 40 minutes, got into a big fight on a street with a number of other people, and uh, all because we'd lost a football game. And as I'm going back to my university digs, I fall out of the seat of the coach into the aisle. I'm lying in the, on my back on, in the aisle, and I call out to God, and I say to God, are you there? And then I hear this, Aled, which way are you going to go? Are you going to go my way which leads to life or your own way which leads to death? Make your choice. I got back to my bedroom that night. It fell flat on my face and I called out to God. I passed out because I was so drunk but woke up four hours later and the room was filled with what I now know to be the presence of God. The weight had gone off my shoulders. I wish it had gone off my stomach. But anyway, off my shoulders and, and now... It was, it was though the, I was overwhelmed by something very good. A friend of mine walked in. She says, wow, what happened to you? She says, I, I said, what do you mean? She says, your face is shining. I said, I think I met God. The reason I met God is because there was a girl in the Christian union who'd been praying for me for two years. And she kept caring enough to pray and make time for me. She'd wait for me outside lectures and walk me back to the lecture hall. When I was drunk or in a fight downtown, she'd be the one who picked me up out the gutter and walked me back to the room and her pals. When I finally became a Christian, walked into the Christian Union for the first time, about 50 people came up to me and addressed me by name and shook my hand. She says, I said, hello, have you met? She says, yeah, yeah, hi, Alan, nice to meet you. He said, how do you know me? I said, oh, I've been praying for you for the last two years. This happened, you were our top target. Christians have targets. Anyway, I was the and they got me <laughs> through care and love and compassion and making time. I was shepherded. It's not, you see, I think it does matter how we do things. I think it matters the style in which we do them. I think it matters about the values of how we work and how we operate. It matters, and I want to be a community. I want our church, I want this church, I want the church in Nottingham to be known as the shepherds of Nottingham. People who love the found, who love the strays and love the lost. I want them to know that they're cared for and we throw an arm around them and bring them in and include them because we love them. But how can we love them if we've got 600 kids still waiting to get into foster homes? I don't know what we're going to do about St. Anne's and the poverty there. I don't know what we're going to do about different parts of our city. And here we stand, joying the Lord. But in fact, He calls us to be shepherds. And to love and pastor people into the kingdom, whether they're already found or whether they're straying or whether they're lost. And guys, that's what City Prayer is about. We want to invite in as many people as possible to pray the heart of God for our city and then do something about it. A day in, day out, you guys in here, us together, people we meet and bump into, the people we live next door to, the people we work with, the people we bump into at Tesco's, whatever it might be, 
all of those opportunities God sees because, and he wants us to just say, I'm available. Here I am. Choose me, Lord. Because he's already in conversation with those people. He already knows their name. How many hairs they've got on their head. He loves them and knows them. So my appeal tonight is simply this. We don't speak the word of God into a timeless vacuum in this city. We don't speak just generic truth as though somehow people will catch it in the air. We speak a word from heaven that is incarnated in a body as the good shepherd takes to the streets through you and I. He incarnates his message in people and in me and you, in churches and across the city. Somehow or other, God's gonna have his way with this city, don't you think? He's gonna find a people like us together, pulling together. Those 80 to 100 churches who've said, we're in this thing, city prayer. Let's go for it. By the grace of God, who knows what he might do in this city? Amen? So, how about it? How about shepherding the found? Some of you are pastors. Some of you need your identity affirming. Some of, all of us are sons and daughters. Perhaps we're not so clear about who we are. Perhaps we're not so sure about who God's made us to be. I want to pray for you in a moment. Some of us are straying right now. The internet's got the better of us. It might be shopping. It might be gossip. It might be whatever it might be, but our hearts are compromised and we've grown cool or even worse, lukewarm. We still look the same on the outside, but on the inside, some things have begun to just lose their edge. And then there's the lost. I was so lost, you couldn't imagine it. People prayed me into the family of God. When you're lost, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know where to turn. Some of you may feel like that today, but some of you feel like you're shepherds to the lost. 